Hi everyone from Impact Alpha Media. This is Returns on Investment, a show about the impact investing marketplace. Live on tape from New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the financial technology company LiquidNet. Joining me in my office here in New York is Imogen Rose Smith, a senior writer with Institutional Investor Magazine. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And joining us by the magic of podcast technology from California is David Bank, who is editor-in-chief of Impact Alpha. Hi, David. Hi, Brian. Hi, Imogen. On today's show, we're going to talk about climate action in the era of Trump. Beyond several Goldman Sachs alumni and key cabinet posts, President-elect Trump's nominations for key roles signal his interest in dismantling President Obama's efforts to address climate change. His nominations are either strong allies for the fossil fuel industry, like Scott Pruitt, who is a climate change denier, who is the pick for administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, or his nominations are literally the fossil fuel industry itself, as in the case of Rex Tillerson, who is the CEO of ExxonMobil and is President-elect Trump's choice for Secretary of State. Now, many business leaders, investors, and environmental activists are up in arms with these picks and for what they mean for a Trump administration approach to climate change. However, David, you recently wrote a piece taking a different perspective. Can you explain? Well, I think the most likely scenario is the one there was a headline that said uh, Trump, Putin, and Tillerson team up to destroy the planet. And that, that's the, I suppose, conventional wisdom, you know, as you, as you mentioned it. But I, I did note and thought it was intriguing that Tillerson himself, as well as ExxonMobil as a company, as well as a half dozen other major oil companies, are on record as being in support of a carbon tax. So I took off from that uh, fact and tried to investigate, well, why would they be and where might that go under a Trump administration? And I think it's intriguing, let's say. Now, are they uh, in favor of a carbon tax or a carbon price? Well, they say carbon tax and, you know, tax is a, a dirty word and, you know, has been a dirty word in Washington. And so it was interesting that they're actually willing to say tax, but tax and price are not quite interchangeable. But basically the basic notion is, yes, put a price on carbon, then you, then market mechanisms can kick into gear. You can start to make plans and make trades and make uh, bring new technologies and new techniques in and, 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 and manage your carbon because there's a market price for it. So, David, I actually read your article. And I mean, as I understand it, your point is that you think that between sort of Rex Tillerson and Trump, it can be sort of, you know, these the strong men coming in and being the people on the right who can be the ones to to have a carbon tax and create a carbon market in a sort of, you know, Nixon to China movement moment, correct? Well, yes, Nixon to China was the headline. And the notion is only a Republican could get a carbon tax through Congress and only an oil man could bring the fossil fuel industry along for what arguably might be in their best interests. I think you're out of your mind. <laughs> others have others would agree with you, Imogen. I think, I think this issue. notion that like somehow Exxon and Rex Tillerson were like embracing climate change and the need for a carbon market. The reason he had to do that is because he was the CEO of an energy company and therefore he was a fiduciary and therefore he had a legal obligation not to like stick his hands on his ears and sing la la la, right? And it's not like, you know, Exxon came to this or Tillerson came to this joyfully and happily. They were dragged there kicking and screaming. There's a reason why the environmental activists went after Exxon aside from the fact that it's the largest company for them to go after. So away from his fiduciary responsibility 
as the head of an energy company, I think it's highly unlikely that he's going to embrace any kind of climate-friendly policies. And in fact, I think the first thing he's going to do is work with Russia to start drilling in Alaska. And in fact, David, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, uh, there, there's the concept with startups where you are you create a, a minimum uh, viable product, an MVP. And, and, and there are some that claim that what Tillerson was doing with acknowledging climate change is real and, and advocating that a, a carbon tax or a carbon price makes sense was almost a minimum viable statement. You know, it's the least amount that he could reasonably say and do. Yeah, and as a fiduciary, it was like that's what he had to do. In, you know, you cannot be a fossil fuel company in this day and age and avoid the risk of climate change. You can be a secretary of state and do that. And I mean, I think that, you know, again, like, what more does the Trump administration or the, and it's not just Trump, it's the people who are putting in place the administration. Like, what more do they have to say or do to indicate where they're going? I mean, I think the most insidious thing they did was um, the question asked the Department of Energy asking, you know, who had been to the UN climate change conferences and who was implementing the Obama climate program. Like, and that is, you know, that's sort of, you know, McCarthy era style witch hunt of people who have done anything around these issues. I mean, it's it's frightening. I mean, I see, I do see your point, David. I'm not just trying to like take you down, but I, I don't think there is anything in what is being put in place right now that gives me much cause for optimism. I think what does give cause for optimism is what's happening outside of the administration. I think the amount of business leaders that we see rallying to speak out and recognize the clear risks and need associated with the need to transition to a clean energy economy. That gives cause for optimism, but I don't think the Trump administration is gonna do anything. And I don't see Rick Tillerson being anyone's climate hero anytime soon. Now are you guys <laughs> have had your say, and I'm sure you're, you're correct. And I, and, and you really I don't like criticism, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will stipulate that the history is exactly as, as you say it, and there's a terrific package that was a runner-up for a Pulitzer Prize in Inside Climate News that everybody should read on the, on the history of what Exxon knew and when they knew it. And there's an investigation from some state attorney generals right now of whether they actually misled their investors about what they knew about climate change. So that is indeed the history. All I was saying is that if you do a bit of situational analysis, you understand that a price on carbon falls differentially on different players in the marketplace. And, you know, just the, the story about, you know, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than the other guy that the bear is chasing. And Exxon, for example, is better situated than many oil companies to deal with the price on carbon because they're relatively heavy in natural gas. Russia actually is also better situated than many uh, oil producing countries because they're very heavy in natural gas, which they sell to Europe to make electricity. And as Europe gets off of coal, they want to buy more natural gas and a carbon tax would get them off of coal faster. So you have to look at those kind of effects to understand who might be in favor of it. They're not going to be in favor of it for the reasons that, you know, the, the, the climate activists in the campus divestment movement is in favor of it. They're going to be in favor of it because there's money to be made. And I don't disagree with you. And I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable analysis for Rex Tillerson, CEO of ExxonMobil. I don't think it's a reasonable analysis for Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State. By the way, can we pause on the fact that he's called Rex Tillerson because that is like such an awesomely American name. 
Um, well, it's also like if, if 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 you were writing a Hollywood script and had an oil man named Rex Tillerson, exactly, that, that you would not get that passed. Yeah, and but by the way, I mean, I think it's also important to recognize that you need oil men and you need the energy industry in the clean energy conversation. And it's not that like you know, people in the oil industry aren't going to be very important figures in the transition to a low carbon economy. It's just that Rex Tillerson ain't your guy, right? And it's also, I mean, the, the, the more prudent political analysis, which is you're not gonna have a Republican who puts a tax on anything. So the idea that like President Trump or Tillerson or anyone else in the administration is going to be leading the charge for taxes is really hard to believe. It's interesting that if you circle up a lot of the indicators around the world, they're already, is an Im implicit and growing price on carbon. So the Canadians just uh, announced something the other day where they are going to put a seven dollar and eighty cent, I think, tax on on carbon rising to to fifty dollars, I believe, by twenty twenty. I might not have those numbers exactly right. Exxon Mobil itself, in its internal calculations, uh, calculates a price of forty to eighty dollars a ton on on, on carbon. Um, the European Investment Bank insists that all of its investments calculate, I think, a hundred dollar a ton price on carbon. So around the world, you know, with this hodgepodge of markets, some voluntary, some mandatory, um, you know, you know. Pre, uh, regulatory reporting regimes, you know, in place in various places and internal pricing, there is starting to be a price on carbon. And part of the business, you know, wisdom is, hey, if there's this hodgepodge of, of things, why not regularize it and, and, and make it, uh, you know, more transparent and, and uniform across boundaries. And that's price precisely the reason why you are seeing a bunch of these business leaders and others step out and recognize the risks of energy. I mean, there was a big report that came out this week, you know, but the sort of Mark Carney, um, Mike Bloomberg led initiative talking about disclosure and carbon risk. Like business leaders in the US around the world recognizes the risk isn't gonna change because we have a Trump administration, right? Climate change is still a problem. It's still a huge risk for investors. It's still a huge risk for businesses. That hasn't gone away. And in fact, what I think you're gonna see is, is you're going to see a buildup of sort of high carbon assets in the US which is gonna cause massive investment risks as a result of the policies coming out of the administration. So I think, you know, I am not optimistic about the next four years, but I am optimistic that we're still gonna see change and that we're still gonna be moving towards a low carbon economy, but it's not gonna come from the US government. The US government is going to be at best a lagger, at worst and most likely a naysayer, but everyone else increasingly recognizes the need for change. Now, you could also throw into the mix, you know, Trump's own personality. I mean, who knows, he might turn around tomorrow and start embracing climate change, but I don't think that's likely. The interesting issue here is not just the climate, but as as we were saying, the climate of civil discourse. And there's people. You saw the tech titans, you know, traipse up to t Trump Tower, and various folks are are having to angle their way around how they're going to uh, deal with the new administration. And so one of the things I think that's interesting is where are the points of um, leverage in the new administration? And if the economics point in one direction, you know, there is at least a plausible argument to make to the to the Trump folks, whether they're Goldman folks or or Trump himself, that, you know, follow the money. And, um, you know, I don't think they will do it out of uh, necessarily concern for the for the environment or anything else. Uh, but uh, but they may do it out of the basic economics, as you just so uh, well described. So Imogen, with all that, are you optimistic? About a Trump administration climate policy? Absolutely not. 
What I am optimistic about is that the forces outside of that will rally so that for hopefully years from now, even two years from now, we will be better positioned to tackle climate risk. And I'm also not too, I think there is something to be said for marshalling the forces outside of government and not relying on government to be the change agent, or at least government alone. David, are you optimistic? Uh, no way. I, th I think we're headed to, for a very uh, a, a bleak and, and, and depressing, depressing period. Um, uh, and uh, but I do think that there are might maybe maybe levers and, and interesting strategies to play out. So uh, you, you, you go with what you got. And in the meantime, you have a designer puppy that is still keeping you busy. So <laughs> super, so busy. super busy, super <laughs> busy. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thank you, Imogen. Thank you. And thank you, David. Thank you, guys. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like the show, please leave us a rating and a comment because that helps other people discover the show. For more on the Impact Investing Marketplace, follow us on Twitter at Impact Alpha. And check out the website, impactalpha.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter to keep in touch. Uh, any feedback you have, any questions, comments, concerns, ideas, jokes, send them by email, in, info at impactalpha.com. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. Thank you, Isaac. And uh, that's going to do it. I guess I already <laughs> said that. So from New York, I'm Brian Walsh. On behalf of David Bank and Imogen Rose-Smith, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Returns on Investment. We look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you.